0: Absolutely amazing, I'm just tongue-tied,
1: just talking about it, making the best. Yes, I'm that. a favorite now.
0: Welcome to the Extraordinary Being Movement, where we inspire you to take action, influence you for change, and motivate you for success. Hi, I'm your host and coach, Len Carmine, and we have an extraordinary show for you today. We are gonna be talking about how to create a winner's mindset with our special guest today. But before we get into that, I have to introduce, of course, my two favorite co-hosts, the one and only Christopher Shiver. Yeah, first today. (laughs) I gotta be fair on this show. Yes.
1: I'm excited today, because today we're gonna talk about my favorite sport, and that's football.
0: Football, is it football (laughs) or soccer?
1: I don't know. That's a good question. That's a good question. Actually, I learned today that there was a sport already called handball. And I had no idea it was existed.
0: Oh, that's... You learn something new, buddy. Every day. Oh, every day, every day. We'll get into why you never heard about handball here in a moment. Hey, Fred Martinez, what's going on?
2: I'm doing great. Hey, Chris, get off the couch. <laughs>
0: here you go, man. Play the game of life. Get out there.
2: It's it's a medicine ball, man. <laughs> you know, there's there's more to sports. Like g- gaming is not a sport, man. I'm being honest. Oh, oh, I'm right. insulted.
0: Video game is not a sport. <laughs> it's because you can play wee bowling or something, it's not a real sport. So let's let's talk about this winner's mindset. Let's talk about actually doing sports, the benefits of it, with our special guests that we have today. We have the one and only Danielle Fagan. She's here with us today. She is out to make a difference in the lives of youth athletes on and off the field, learning life lessons through sports. She's using these life lessons to train the next generation of players, coaches, and ultimately creating champions in business, sports, wellness, and life. Danielle, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. I appreciate that. Look, Danielle, I was reading your bio. I have to say I'm super impressed. You're a former Division I soccer and softball athlete. And in 2007, you climbed Kilimanjaro. Yep. Share share more about
3: that. Yeah, so it's funny because it was – It wasn't even anything that was like a bucket list item or anything that I had dreamt of doing. And I was, I had met some coaches at a soccer coaching course the year before, and this mass email went out saying, hey, who wants to climb Kilimanjaro and go on safari in the Serengeti? And I was like, oh, I I do, you know, why not? Which is, you know, it, it's interesting. I mean, I just kind of jumped at it. I'm, I'm not a real spontaneous person. I'm a planner, and I organize everything. Now, I did spend the next year planning this trip, but, um, but yeah, it was, it was, it was awesome. It was probably the most physically, emo- emotionally, mentally challenging adventure of a lifetime. And, um, you know, people ask me, "Oh, would you do it again?" And no, not because I didn't <laughs> like it. <laughs> but it's kind of like you know now I check that off and and what's next? But um, but yes, yeah, so, so like I I prepared I planned, but there's still there was really no way to really plan for it and prepare for everything. And uh, what's well, been really cool too is it's interesting you bring that up. Is yeah. I then used that trip um, to map out an entire season for my for my high school team, my high school soccer team that I was coaching. So that fall, so I went in February of 2007. And then that fall, I used the entire trip to map out our whole season. So we set goals as if we were climbing Kilimanjaro and just mapped our entire like preseason, regular season, postseason right on onto, right onto that. And I got to share my experiences with the team and use everything that I learned climbing a mountain and showing them how we're climbing a mountain as a team together to uh, reach the state finals.
0: No, that's, that's, I mean, this is awesome. You're the first guest we've had that has done something like this, that has climbed this huge mountain and you know, I'm impressed by it. I mean, you know, that's awesome. Absolutely. Awesome. When, when you were on that journey, did, did anything like really come to you? Were you like any type of mindfulness or enlightenment, you know, that, that resonated with you while you were climbing that mountain? Oh, man.
3: So there were so many moments. Um, <laughs> hard to distill it into like one thing, but oh, you
0: can share a couple
3: of them. Okay, well, so yeah. one thing that really stood out was, um, you know, we climbed for it took it took four and a half days to get to the summit. And we climbed so the first four days, it mm-hmm. was, you know, it's kind of like being on a hike. I mean, yeah. I don't want to oversimplify it. But And it was, they were all different climates and whatnot, but then when we did our, we got to base camp and when we did our summit, we left at 11 o'clock at night. And because the, with the goal of getting to the summit at sunrise. And as I'm, as I'm walking, um, up the, you know, up the mountain and you're walking at like a snail's pace. Mm. And I had two thoughts while, well, I had three thoughts while I was walking. One, when are we going to stop and go to the bathroom? (laughs) And (laughs) it was like 15 degrees below. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I really, and they kept yelling out potty. And I'm like, oh, this is so great. We're going to get to stop and go to the bathroom. Well, they had nicknamed the guy that one of the, one of the uh, mountain guides potty. So the whole time I'm thinking, oh, this is, this is great. We're going to get to go. (laughs) <laughs> so, so there was that, like, okay, how do you control your bladder while hiking sure. up up a mountain in negative 15 for six or seven hours? Then my other thought was, now I grew up in Massachusetts. I live in the suburbs of Philadelphia right now. My other thought was, wow, I could, and I, this, I did this trip a number of times because I this is where I went to college. So I could drive back and forth with my eyes closed. I'm like, wow, in the amount of time it takes me to drive from my hometown to college, is the amount of time it's going to take me to walk to the top of this mountain. Wow! And yeah. And I was like, wow, I cannot believe I'm just going to be hiking for that long in the pitch black. Again, not, not like that. Not like these are like crazy epiphanies that I've had. It was just more like, wow, how oversimplified can we become? Like I thought about like driving in a car, having to, having having to go to the bathroom, like a basic need. And then, and then it became, and then it became really clear that survival was a big deal. Like mm-hmm. I, everything that I had taken for granted, because we got to, uh, we got to about 600 feet from the top, and we could see the sun coming up, and and then the rest of that that last stretch from, from right where we were, I forget what it was called, but all the way to the top is you're on the glacier, which mm. is which is melting, and is they said it was going to be melted by 2020, which seemed like a long time away in 2007. <laughs> um, um, but anyway, it was, it was literally climbing up a glacier
2: wow. and
3: I, I mean, I was walking at a snail's pace at, at this point. I, I mean, it's just like one step at a time. It took forever to get to the top, but then getting up to the top and then literally it was like, you're looking out over, it looks like the world and there's nothing up there um, except, you know, the, the summit with the sign mm-hmm. and it's just a glacier. That's it. And then, and then people walking up and walking back down. And, um, and really what it, would, it became the survival part is one of my friends on the way back down slipped and was falling wow. and was just like careening down the side of the mountain. And it's not like when you're on a ski slope and there's you know, there's barriers or mm-hmm. even like caution tape or anything like that. I mean, you're yeah. just you're just climbing. And I mean, luckily she was able to catch a rock and she stopped. But I was just like, I I wasn't, I didn't even panic at that point. I was like, okay, bye. Because (laughs) there's like no oxygen up there. And it's like, you can't even process like anything. I was like, all right, well, I guess that's it. See ya. And, you know, again, no, no great epiphanies, except just like, just like how small I am and it wasn't even like, yay, I made it to the top. It was just like, oh my gosh, I'm cold, I'm hungry, and I still have to go to the bathroom. <laughs> um, although one thing that I did notice on part of the climb, this was before mm. the summit attempt, is the sky. Mm. Because there's no lights up there. And the sky, I, I remember looking up at one point, and I turned to our head guide and I said, this looks like a planetarium. And he said, a what? Oh. <laughs> and of course he didn't know what a planetarium was. But it's just like it's it's like a sky I've never seen anywhere in the world. Just because it it's it's just so pure. There's there's nothing up there. And again, we gotta remember this is before this is before like we had smartphones and Mm. and everything climbing up there. So it was it was like really being off the grid. And like you knew that you were off the grid because there was it was just nature. There was no there was no like lights. That you could see, it wasn't even light. You could see off in the distance.
0: You're so making me
1: homesick. Uh, you're making me homesick right now. Don't do this. Yeah. I'm from that part of the world. I know exactly where Are you're you? talking
3: about. Okay. Yeah, it's,
1: I just, I know exactly the sky is. Yeah,
3: the sky. <laughs> it's I've, I, even, you know, if I my camera couldn't really capture pictures of it, but um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. It's just, and it's just, it is. It just becomes so simple, like water food uh, you know just uh, yeah and not to get like again not not a big epiphany just like wow what am I worried about
2: <laughs> the, the one thing that pops in my mind was hearing in my mind I start visualizing like caresses that you have to go ahead and like you have there's a ladder and you have to walk across did you run across any anything like that knowing the how the risk and the danger behind all that
3: oh, yeah so the um, the scariest part of the entire climb. This was actually pre summit. This was like the day before the summit. It's um it's an area called like the kissing ledge or the kissing stone. Mm. And essentially, what it is is it's a very it's a very small ledge where like my whole foot couldn't fit on it. And I'm I'm a small person. I'm five two. I have a size seven foot. So it's not like I take up a lot of space. So that was an advantage and a disadvantage. And what it is is that. You're, you're going from one edge to another. And they call it the kissing stone because you face the wall of the mountain. and You're literally almost kissing it because if you step back, you're gone. And so my foot's partially off the ledge. And, but here's the part that, that made my wingspan a disadvantage because, you know, the tall guy that I was with, he was like 6'4". He could stick his one hand out and be holding the guide on the one side and then put his other hand out and the guide could so he always was attached so to help him get across the ledge now for me i'm holding on on this side but for me to reach the guy on the other side i had to let go with my left hand wow and in that moment it was just like that i you know like just it's almost like have you ever been on any of those like free I mean, I didn't fall, right? But those like free fall, like amusement rides, you know, like where everything just drops in your stomach. I had that, I had that like internal, like Mm -hmm. the feeling I wasn't falling again. I was just like, Oh my God, I could actually die here. And that's actually one of the stories that I shared with my, with my high school team. And it was like, I had to trust to let go on the one side to grab the hand of the other um, the guide on the other and get across, and that was probably that was scarier than going to the summit, honestly. Like that, you know, seeing the glacier and my friend going down, but, uh, that that was that was frightening.
1: And, and I love how you how you 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 weave that with your high school students because because let's be honest, a lot of people in today's world don't know how to let go. Of of their own control of the situation, and then be able to trust somebody else to let you know help them across, and yep. and really, and really, what's really awesome about that concept is that it's teaching us to be coachable, to be able mm-hmm. to listen to others. I mean, that's just great. What did you, did you see the changes in your high school students after
3: that? Yeah, and and what was interesting too is that um, you know that was the year where so the year prior we were ranked number one in the state and. And I, you know, I set the tone. I was super cocky. I'm like, we're going to win states this year. And then we were upset early on and I took responsibility for that. But, um, but then, so coming into the next year, I was like, all right, we're going to be, we're going to be humble. And, um, you know, and uh, gosh, talk about like a climbing a you know, one of the tallest, you know, one of the seven summits of the world, you know, the highest peak in Africa and like talk about being humble by, you know, a mountain and, um, you know, sharing that with the players. And, and they even said to like, we're not doing that again. We're not looking ahead. We're going to just, we're going to take every single step along the way. And then we ended up actually, um, we won dates that year. And I mean, was it because I climbed Kilimanjaro and shared the story? No, but it was just all those little steps along the way. And then what was really cool, what I found out is, um, this year I was, I had reached out to one of my former players. I heard she had had some serious medical issues. She's probably 30 now, if she's Mm. not almost 30, but you know, late 20s, early 30s, I can't remember exactly what, but um, she had some serious medical issues where she had an MRI and had um, had to get an injection to, so that they could see clearly in her, in her hip. She ended up having a severe reaction to the injection and has been really sick for a year and one of the things I reached out to her because she decided she had kind of disappeared and then she had posted on Facebook oh my gosh this is what happened to me be careful and so I called her and she said I gotta I gotta share with you what got me through this past year is you sharing that story of Kilimanjaro with us during high school soccer in 2007 because I spent the entire year climbing Kilimanjaro all over again." And wow. I was just like, wow, <laughs> wow. And she's on the mend, but it was, it was pretty serious. I mean, she, to the point where, I mean, she was having hallucinations and mm. she, cause she ended up having, um, I forget what the name of it was, but it was like severe lead poisoning. So it went right to wow. her brain. Yeah.
0: Wow. That's crazy. So, um, yeah. But, <clears throat> but I, I love just hearing this story because the impact. Not only did this, you climbing that mountain have an impact on you and a new perspective of things, a new appreciation, but it also made a huge impact on the other people that you share that story with. Mm-hmm. You know, especially what you just shared with that young lady who was sick. I mean, she was climbing her own mountain in her own way, dealing with this illness and struggling through it all. So, I mean, that's I love I love you sharing this story. It's it's perfect, you know, and this really sets the the tone of the show here about having that winner mindset, you know, what it takes to climb that mountain, what it takes to go on these journeys and these pathways and, you know, being in fear, you know, and and stepping outside your comfort zone. And like Chris said earlier, you know, being coachable and being trusting, trusting Mm -hmm. in the process, trusting in that person is going to help and guide you to the next step. So this is great. Can, Can you share a little bit more about your method of, creating a winner's mindset and how you apply it to athletes today? Yeah.
3: So a lot of it is, you know, like you said, it's, it's not necessarily being fearless, but it's like, mm. it, it's embracing the fear. Mm. And, you know, one of the things that we, I always stress with players is, is taking risks. And a lot of times when I get players now, I used to have my own teams, but mostly what I'm working with now is I'm coaching coaches And I have a lot of players in an individual, like one-on-one environment, you know, like personal training. And one of the things I have to spend a lot of time with is undoing the fear of them making mistakes because whatever coaches they've had in the past have yelled at them in a, in a game situation, mostly for making a mistake, you know, don't do that, do this. And, um, you know, so they, they have to get out of that um, like, real controlled situation especially in a game like soccer because soccer is unlike a lot of sports where you're making decisions on the fly there's no like as a coach I don't have a lot of influence over the game except substitutions and I mean there's no timeouts like there's no plays that I'm calling it's it's a lot of it is based on like what's happening in the moment and so it's 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 teaching players to trust their instincts and and go out and just you know give it a go and then and then at the end then then there's just teaching them to self-evaluate so we do a lot of um we do a lot of individual goal setting and for even even if it's just for a game hey what am I going to work on in this game what am I going to work on in training and then a lot of self-reflection and self-correction and self-evaluation so that's kind of like the I would say the core Mm. of my of my philosophy and and then also just allowing players to play um like their style not not put them in a box and you know like I even I even caught myself yesterday a lot of times I'll say I want you to do this and and then I corrected myself yesterday I said this player I want you to to you know I I can't remember exactly what the coaching point was but let's say for example I was teaching her how to strike a ball I want you to lean over Mm. and then I and then I caught myself and I said listen it's not because I want you to It's because when you lean over the ball, it's going to keep it lower, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Sure. Right. Because I, sometimes it's like, well, it's because Danielle wants me to, or coach Danielle wants me to do it. No, it's not really what I want. It's just, it, this is what's going to make you better. And then in doing that and taking the instruction, you know, then how can we move forward? I have another player that I work with. One of the habits we're trying to break with her is every time I give her a coaching point, she says, I know. Mm. And oh no! what was great is yesterday, she caught herself. It was so great. I gave her a coaching point. She turns to me and goes, she goes, I don't know. And she's 11, <laughs> right? But it was so awesome because she's now like building that muscle on yeah. like catching herself. And I mean, she, I know wasn't, it, she wasn't being arrogant or a sure. you know, smart aleck with me. It was just an automatic response. So it's you know it's kind of breaking. I spent a lot of time breaking up patterns and creating helping them create new ones. I have to,
1: I'm sorry, Fred. Can I just you're teaching them more than 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 soccer skills? These are life skills.
3: Absolutely. Oh yeah. That's like I'm it's a holistic approach to to coaching. And you know, I have another player who just got accepted to a, a one of the best colleges in the country. I mean, it's just she's super brilliant. I've been working with her she was on my team when she was younger and I've been doing private lessons with her since she was 11 or 12. And she's now, I think 17, 18, it's been eight years. I know that much. And going back and forth with her mom over text last night. And um, just like, I'm super, super proud of, of this kid. And she's like, Oh, well, this is the reason why I want her to play soccer in college. I said, yeah, this, I'm she's like, it's probably different from yours. I'm like, no. I said, here's what, what's so great about coaching for me mm. is that I get to be, I get to give parental guidance, but I don't get the eye roll and the argument because I'm not their parent. <laughs> right. But right. I'm giving I'm saying a lot of the same things that parents are saying to their kids, except, you know, they don't listen to their parents. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's great. And I love to be able to teach them you know, about life. And even this one kid last week, we were outside. It was, I was cold. It was freezing. It was like 15 mile hour winds. The the field was muddy as all get out. And this kid did not complain. She's a senior in high school. She easily could have complained. And she worked for an hour straight. And I even said to her at one point, I said, wow, I said, you are a trooper. I was so inspired and impressed by her. And she's like, well, I did complain. I'm like, no, you stated a fact that it was cold, but you weren't complaining about it. Mm-hmm. And she's like, yeah, I, ge- I guess, but I don't think she gets like, I was like, wow, like this kid is dialed in. And, you know, if you knew her, you would never, like you would never get that. But it's like, I get to create this relationship with players in a one-on-one setting and get to teach them stuff that, like a lot of the parents, they don't know what we're talking about. So, I mean, a lot of times it's like, I mean, I hate to call it therapy, but sometimes it is because these kids share a lot of stuff with me. So I, I just create a safe space for them to do that.
2: Janelle, you bring up a couple of things because I was a former division one athlete myself also. And the thing is, that I wanted to ask you, how do you teach where you're going to going where the athletes are not going to dwell on that mistake? Because I've seen this where countless times where if a person throws an interception, they're going to go ahead and saying, okay, they chalk it up. You see it in their body language. You know, maybe okay. they're pissed off. But then they go ahead and then they re- recalibrate themselves. And then it's like on to the next play. But if you have that person that gets stuck in their mind, then it's like mistake after mistake after mistake. Mm-hmm. You see it a lot when you watch uh, the NCAA basketball tournament. You can see. You turn off the sound. You can see who's winning and who's losing by looking at the bench. Exactly. A body language. Wow.
3: Yep. So I've actually – Nothing original here. These are all stolen from other coaches. One of the first things I learned, so I studied, um, I've studied a lot of former coaches, uh, you know, not former, I've studied a lot of coaches. (laughs) Um, And um, uh, so I I studied uh, obviously a lot of soccer coaches, but Dr. Colleen Hacker, who was the sports psychologist for the U.S. Women's National Team for the soccer team. Mm. One of the things that she worked with the, uh, the team was she called, it was called Park It where whenever they made a mistake, they would pretend to like crumple it up and they'd throw it in the parking lot, right? Or they would just say, all right, they'd say to in their head, park it. And they would just be like, they would literally park that mistake in the lot and they could always go get it afterwards. And then I've also done a lot of work with the Positive Coaching Alliance where they have, they actually have like a mistake ritual. And one of the ones that I love that I teach the most is it, it's the toilet flush where you flush that mistake down the toilet and with, like, with little kids and even some of the older kids, it was like, we flush a mini toilet and they have to make the sound. Um, but with some, with some players, and like some players, it might be just some action, mm-hmm. whether it be, like I had one player that every time she made a mistake, she clapped. And rather than trying to break her of that clapping habit, I had her in her head say, poof. And like, just like that, poof, mm-hmm. when she clapped. And she would always kind of laugh at herself. So sometimes it was a physical thing. Sometimes it was the entire team. We had, with my high school team, we had two things that we would say. One was next five, which was, um, we would just shout it out, which was focus for the next five seconds, five minutes. Or we would say NBD, which was just, this was way before hashtags. You know, it was just no big deal. (laughs) And next five, we stole from, so the most dangerous, if you know anything about soccer, the most dangerous times to be scored on in a soccer game are the beginning of the game, like the first five minutes, the last five minutes, and then five minutes after you've scored or been scored on. Mm. So anytime someone makes a mistake, we would yell, next five, next five, next five, you know, just to like refocus. So it's something that players will say to themselves, or it could be something physical. And I got one player, so great. I taught her this when she was younger. She's a senior in high school too. And I see her do it now when I'm working with her. She would do this, like brush it off her shoulders. She still does it but like, I don't even acknowledge it anymore. I just, she'll make a mistake and she just goes like that. And then boom, she's just, she's onto it. And so I have a lot of conversations about body language and, um, you know, how they react to it and, and not just for themselves, but I said, you do not want the opponent to see your weakness. Do not let the opponent know that you're frustrated and upset. And then you could take that into life. You know, don't let your boss know you're upset. Don't let you know, like those types of any type of situation that would come up in the future. Uh,
1: yes, yeah, no, because you're right. It, it, it's so much of this stuff we don't learn. We we never learn. It's amazing that 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 your your students get to get to learn this amazing stuff and get the benefit from it. And like from from what it sounds like it sounds like you just love your job. You love what you do.
3: I do. <laughs> yeah, I do. I was out on the field this morning. It's been unseasonably warm here this weekend in the, uh, suburbs of Philly. It was, it's been in the sixties and then we're about to get a nor'easter this week. But, um, but I was out on the field at eight o'clock this morning with two, uh, two fifth year, um, college players. So one's a senior and is going to get the fifth year because of, uh, COVID. And then the other one is just coming back from an ACL and it was, it was awesome. And they, and they were excited to be out there too. They're like eight o'clock. Awesome. This is like sleeping in for us, which shocked me. And it'd be because and here's why because I opened this up to a lot of players this morning and they were the only two that showed up but uh, but it was awesome I, I love it, wow. it keeps so me it keeps me young everybody else is aging my that's around my age except for me <laughs>
2: <laughs> hey, Danielle what do you teach what do you teach the the athletes about losing because I know that's how I reframed things differently through my years of being an athlete i would be really down on myself i would use it as my fuel now what i'm doing is i'm just competing against my uh competing against myself rather than competing against others so what are you teaching about like winning and losing because you know you you can see the positive sides like win 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 but then also to their aspect of saying as long as you put in the effort and you can hold your head up high that i did the best i could because competition that's one thing I love about competition because everyone's going to rise up to the top and you're going to either win or you're going to lose. But the thing is, as long as you know you want that, you put in the effort, then you can hold your head up high. So what do you teach your, your students?
3: Yeah, so I have what's called the 24-hour rule. And what that is, is that, you know, 24 hours after a win or a loss, you've got to be over it. You know, if you win, you could celebrate for 24 hours. I recommend you don't take that long, right? And if you lose, you can do whatever you need to do uh, for for 24 hours. Be upset about it. Write it down. Whatever. Um, just, but get over it in 24 hours. And that's like that's the limit. It's not it's not a recommendation to go that long. Um, so that's one thing that that I've done with players. The other thing is um, taking a look at at a at a loss or a mistake or you know, or you just didn't, like, sometimes players will say to me, oh, I just did not have a good game, or I did not take advantage of the minutes that I got, and so then we, we just break it down, and we look at it from a standpoint of, okay, well, what did you learn from that, and what can you do differently next time? Ooh. The other oh thing I God. did one time, I wanted to have a bonfire, but I didn't think it would, you know, I didn't think I would get the permits for it, so I, I brought my, um, my paper shredder, in one time with one of my teams and I had them all write down I handed out you know paper and pens and I said all right everybody write down anything that's bothering you whether it be from school or from from the last game or practice or your boyfriend or your parents anything write it all down they were like okay and they, they didn't know that the shredder was in the bag and they were just like why are we doing this this is ridiculous and then I took the shredder out and they stood in line and they all shredded their mistakes. And it was so awesome. It was so effective. They were like, can I have another piece of paper? I have other things I forgot to write down.
1: <laughs> That's
3: so, um, awesome. So yeah. And then sometimes what I'll do, especially with the little kids on the field, like cause a lot of times they come off the field distraught. They're just mm-hmm. so upset with themselves is um, I'll never forget this one little girl, Emily, this is years ago now. She's in, she's in college. As I put my hands out like this, I said, Emily, whatever it is, put it in my hands. I'm going to put it in my pocket for you. I'm going to hold that for you, and after the game, if you want it, I'll give it back to you. You know, you can do a lot with imagination with little kids. They love, like, they love that. She might have been, like, eight or nine at the time, maybe ten. She's like, all right, and, you know, I took it from her. I mean, she never asked for it back, but, um, but I mean, honestly, I probably have pockets full of all sorts of mistakes and upset mm-hmm. and anxiety from players over the years where and sometimes you know there are things where um like it just it just like in the moment I'll come up with something I can't even really tell you what it is right now but it's just and even other coaches that I've worked with are like where did you come up with that I'm like I don't know you know like it just like it just seemed like the right thing to say or do in that Mm -hmm. moment and just not to not to so much diffuse the situation but just to like help the player refocus reframe calm down what, whatever it is. And then, um, you know, and you know, and we've done a lot with, with my older players. We've done a lot with journaling and, and whatnot and tracking. Like, oh, well, how did I feel about this? And what can I do differently next time? Um, but, yeah, I mean, I could go on and on about this one.
2: You know what? When you said that, that really, like, touched me. Because I've had coaches that were relentlessly, I'm just going to say, they were just assholes. <laughs> and I, and I, and to this day where it made a, uh, an impact on my life, I had a coach back when I was like probably like 10 years old playing little league, the coach ended up with practice. He would always throw the bat against mm. the fence and always yell at us. But I remember I was in a, in a game. He asked me to bunt or they told me you need a bunt because you can't hit the ball. And I'm like, you're not telling me I can't do anything. So I went and I actually went and I swung, I struck out. And the thing is, is that he ended up taking that back threw it against the fence. And he says, you're not playing anymore. And Mm. the thing is, is I realized certain things in my life. It took me a while to realize that I got to be, I got to be a hard ass on myself and always strive to be better. And instead of just kind of looking things in a positive outlook on life, he just made things look differently. So I, I commend you on showing that if you have an issue with something, you know, it's like your athlete's going to work harder for you. People don't realize that that's a life lesson that managers can do that with their employees saying, Hey, I'm going to work harder. The, the, the employee is going to work harder for that manager. Cause he know that I got your back, but mm-hmm. instead of just cracking that whip and that type of thing, what are you going to end up doing? I'm going to go play with someone else. Cause you see that a lot with like athletes, they switch from one college to another college because of the coaching. Maybe mm-hmm. the, it's not maybe sometimes it's not about the the environment. I'm not getting playing time. Sometimes it's about the coaching more than anything else.
3: Yeah, players hop teams all the time and just you know, just to be like totally transparent, this is an evolution you know, I was, I was an asshole coach at one time. <laughs> so
2: like when I was a young
3: coach, you know, I, I, and I, you know, I could probably give you like 10 players. You could call and be like, Oh my God, she was so hard on us. And she, you know, she yelled at us. And, and not to say that, like, you know, I, I'm not, a am not a yeller anymore, but there were times where, yeah, I lost my stuff. And, and that became a learning experience for me. And, um, you know, there were times I yelled at a player or I yelled at a team or I was just like, whew. But the the difference was that I came back around and mm. I, I apologized for it and said, listen, here's what I learned from that. And um, I've mellowed out over the years. Um, but but even even still, you know, like I have, I have this one former player of mine. She's in her late 20s now. I coached her starting at age 11 or 12. And she even said, she's like, you know, in high school, it was, it was tough because there would be times I'd yell out to her and she would just kind of look at me. I'm like, could you give me like a thumbs up or thumbs down or just acknowledge that you're even hearing me? And, uh, and I was talking to her mom her mom one night. She's like, this is so great because right now she just hates you. (laughs) And, uh, I said, Oh, okay. She's like, but this is a good thing that she hates you right now. I said, Oh, all right, that's fine. She ended up being a captain and then going on and playing four years in college and was a captain of her college team and is a successful businesswoman right now. And I'm not saying that that was all me, but, um, but I really got to see this player grow up right in front of me on the soccer field, off the field in leadership roles. And what was interesting is that her leadership style was very much like mine, mm. which was hilarious. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've I've ridden I've ridden players. I've I've been tough, um, but it all out of I like to call it tough love, like all uh-huh. out of a sense of caring for the players, wanting them to be their best, pushing them as hard as I is as, as I can. And I've learned new methods, so um, so yeah. Hopefully, none of those players are are in therapy now because of me. But <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I mean, so. It it is. It's a learning process for me as well. And, you know, one of my one of my idols, Pat Summit, who coached many, 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 many years, successful years, uh, women's basketball, like just put the women's basketball program at University of Tennessee on the map. She has since passed from Alzheimer's, but she was also known as like one of the toughest coaches Mm -hmm. in the country. And I modeled a lot of my coaching style off of her. Cause I, I read her books and I used to watch her on TV and, and she, you know, you'll hear a lot of her players will come back and just talk about um, like what an influence she was on their life. Again, not to, I mean, I'm not trying to like make excuses for the way that I, I acted towards some players, but like, but the, like, that's a lot of that is my style is that, you know, is like go hard, and be tough, but I think at the end of the day, the, the players that have succeeded will tell you that they know it was out of like my utmost um, desire for them to be super super successful what, in whatever they were doing.
2: I think the big difference would be is that the coach, if the coach is stuck in their ego of why they're doing it instead of looking at it as it's better for the the athlete, that you inspire them because you're pushing them because life is going to be hard. And most people think it's not going to be sunshine and rainbows as some people think, like some of these kids think that things are so simple that everybody gets a participation trophy. And in (laughs) reality, you know, I grew up with, there's, you know, what do they call second place? They call it loser. First loser. (laughs) loser. (laughs) (laughs) And so the thing is, is that with a certain type of, of mindset which I I love is like you have to be hard you have to go hard in life because if you want something it's not going to be handed to you you got to work for it
3: Mm -hmm. yeah participation trophies are like the bane of my existence (laughs) you know I mean I just uh about five years ago I got rid of all my trophies I saved all the little plaques on them I think I might have had 10 trophies over all the years of playing now a kid gets 10 trophies in the first year of playing just because mm-hmm. they showed up or maybe they didn't even show up, you know, they're just on a team. So it's kind of really just diluted the waters of like, you know, a trophy. Yeah. It's a participation trophy. Drives me, drives me crazy.
1: This conversation has really given me insight though, because for my own son, um, he's only four and I, I really light love him to play soccer. Cause I love soccer too. And mm-hmm. he, he loves it to death. I'll turn on Manchester United or something on television and he'll actually stop what he's doing to watch. So oh. I, I know he loves it at four years old, but the thing is, now after this conversation, after hearing all this, I'm realizing now that I need to be a lot more diligent with whose coaches.
3: Oh yeah, I, I
1: need to be actually because because the way you're talking about how you do your course, everything, I'm just like, oh my god, I don't have to parent if I just send him to you. <laughs>
3: like, he's <laughs> gonna get everything he needs. Yeah, it's one stop shopping. <laughs> I'm well, done. Yeah, but here's, you know, it's interesting because there's been a lot of research done, a lot of surveys and studies, and there's a, there's a precipitous drop-off in youth sports around the age of 12. And the number one reason kids quit sports is because they're not having fun anymore. Mm. Mm. And the number one reason they play is because they want to hang out with their friends. Yeah. They want to have fun. And if the coach is making it miserable for them, they're quitting. If they don't quit at 12, they're quitting at 13, no matter how much they love it. Or, you know, they are switching teams and whatever Mm -hmm. but yeah that's like you'll see this huge drop off there's a lot of studies out there
1: interesting oh my
3: god that's amazing yep
2: hey hey, hey, Danelle you you actually you know what when hearing about this I really resonate with with ever what all you're saying because of like being an athlete I've been an athlete since I was eight so I'm 48 so I've been an athlete for 48 years in my life Mm -hmm. and it just seemed like you have this lot of wisdom and and a lot of stuff that you could be teaching non-athletes as well so I want to go ahead and ask you this question based on your years of experience and your knowledge and that wisdom that you have what can you tell your 20 year old self if you can go back
3: Uh, oh man my 20 year old self Uh, work harder no Uh, (laughs) Oh man, my 20 year old self. I think a lot of people will tell you this too. I take myself so seriously and I, I would tell my 20, 20 year old self, like lighten up. Mm. And um, I mean, people who know me really well, like a lot of times, or when people are starting to get to know me, they're like, wow, you're really funny. Wow. You're like, you know, you're really fun to be around. And a lot of times, like the older I've gotten, like the more kind of closed closed off to that side like that like kind of that fun childish like goofiness has like kind of disappeared not because of like a, uh, not because I wanted it to but because like I don't put myself in those environments anymore and I think a lot of that came from I was just so serious and so focused in college in graduate school gotta do this gotta do that and and, you know, looking back like, oh man, you know, like what would the path have been had I, had I done some things differently or just even done things the same, but just had a different attitude about it or about myself or about the situation, um, it, you know, just, just to have, have more fun with everything rather than, cause I had a lot of fun, but it wasn't necessarily in those moments. Like when I was on the field, when I was working hard, I used to I used to beat myself up, and this is like when I would be like lifting, for example, I'd be you know, and I needed to get two more reps and I couldn't. I'd be like, "You suck. Come on! What's the matter with you?" Like I say that in my head, or sometimes oh. I say it out loud. Oh, yeah. Like come on, what's wrong with you? And then I, you know, obviously over the years learning, like that negative self talk does not help you get those last two reps. <laughs> um, So that's, you know, one thing that I've brought into now, like when I'm lifting, it's like, come on, you could do this. You got you got two more. It's like I've now like kind of flipped the lens. It's like, okay, well, what would you say to your players? Would you say that's your players? No, absolutely not. Mm. So it's been like, well, talk to yourself the way that you would talk to your player.
2: Mm. Love Um, it. Love it. Because I'm the same way. Really critical mm-hmm. on myself, and and just, and then also just being the the a, the asshole athlete. Where mm-hmm. when I would run track, I would go ahead and write the other the their team. I would write the their top athlete. I would write underneath their name underneath my eyes, and then I, I would, would just <laughs> and, and then I, when I would be coming out of the blocks because I would run the hundred meters, mm-hmm. I would come out screaming and just miss. <laughs> And what I'm coming out is because it was it was just being that jerk and then being able to just I wanted that power and then it also threw everybody off and then when I would run the 400 meters, I would go ahead and come up to my competition and I said, eat dust. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that was wow. after one. Was this was this all in.
1: Uh, um, uh, where was this at this was at uh, um, uh, New Mexico,
2: right. Yeah, this was in high school and then and this was in college. And then in college, I quickly learned the hard way because when I had that same type of attitude and I blow a hamstring, I'm beating everybody. Oh. I'm like, oh, I'm beating you, I'm beating you. And then I blow a hamstring and then I, then I, then I get up or, and then I tried going up again. And it's was like, there goes my season just mm-hmm. by just being stuck in the head. Wow.
3: Yeah, I was stuck in my head for a long time over mistakes and all sorts of stuff.
1: That, that's kind of where it, that's. I feel like, in, and even in my coaching, I felt like that was always kind of like the issue. We a lot of time we can't get out of our own way, you mm-hmm. know. Get get out of our own, get get rid of our own filters. Just like just for a second, just push the bushes out of the way and see the mountain for what it is, you know.
3: Absolutely, and I, you know, I I that's the other thing is I I share that with a lot of my players too. You
0: mm-hmm. know, I
3: share about like what I was like as a player. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the experience that I had as a player and, and different, you know, a lot of like, you know, a lot of players nowadays, like they don't know what my background is and they don't know like what teams I made, if I got cut or, Mm -hmm. um, you know, did I, was I a starter? Was I not, um, you know, and how did I handle those different types of situations? Um, And, 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 you know, the, one of the ones that I share in, in, Going back to the very beginning when we talked about you know taking risks is um, my I think it was about my senior year in college um, I was playing softball and the I, I was a I was a bench player in softball I was not a starter and um, there was a game and I started and it was like wow this is amazing and I got in the batter's box and you know strike one I mean I looked I watched all the pitches strike two. Ball one, ball two, head coach, she's coaching third base, she calls timeout, comes over, she looks she looks me right in the eyes. This is scary. I was scared of the coach, who I actually love. <laughs> but I, we were like, oh, no, like we're, I'm in trouble. She looked me in the eye, she says, do you know why you started today? You know, I was kind of like, uh, I, I don't know. You know, like I didn't <laughs> know how to answer that in that moment. She says, because you hit so well in practice. And I did, I was hitting our number one pitcher in practice. I couldn't miss in practice the week before. I don't know what happened, but I connected on everything. And this was our number one pitcher. So I, I earned the start. And uh, she says, okay, so you know why you're starting, right? I'm like, oh yeah, cause I hit well. She's like, right, I put you in there to swing the bat, swing the bat. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't put you in there to stand and look at pitches. I was like, oh, okay. Now I don't remember what the count was. It was close to full count. And but I was like, I made the decision. I'm like, all right, anything that's close, I'm swinging, Right. And it's just I'm just gonna put myself out there. And I will never forget it. Line drive down the middle. It was a single, it was great, but I'll just I'll never forget it. I swing the bat. Those are like the the three best things she said to me in four years. Swing the bat. And and that was like when I really learned, okay, like I was afraid to strike out. Mm-hmm. And the whole reason I was in there is because I was good at swinging and hitting,
2: oh. no,
0: That hit be hearing, hard. You no, know, I love hearing that, Dan, because sometimes life is about just swinging that bat and taking action, mm-hmm. you know, getting yourself out of that mindset of just moving forward and whatever happens, it's just a learning lesson. If you strike out, Hey, now you know how to do better next time. If you hit it, fantastic, you know, roll with it, run for those bases. So I, I, you know, I love what you're saying here. And throughout this whole entire episode, you know, your way of being has, has, is just extraordinary. And that's why I, I had you on as a guest because, you know, you talking about how you were once as a coach to how you evolve today and taking ownership of that. And then even apologizing to those former athletes that maybe felt, you know, didn't like the way you acted towards them and taking ownership for that, it truly shows the type of leadership that you have as a coach, but also as a person. And that's absolutely extraordinary. And and the way you are, are teaching these youth from all ages on how to get out of their mind, create new coping skills, how to overcome and anchor a new way of dealing with their issues that they can take into life. You know, when they're dealing with, Uh, you know, something in their work space that they're upset about, they can go back to that time when you told them to to flush it down the toilet, you know, and just let it go. Instead of harboring it on or or parking it and then going back and reevaluating or just, you know, it just disappears because it's no longer there in the present because they let it go. So that is truly What what you're truly doing is extraordinary and, and getting these young athletes now to really take that on is beautiful so I want to thank you very much for being here for sharing that with us now I do have a question for you in regards to parents who might be looking to get their kids into sports programs now what, what would you recommend for them as a way to know if this is the right coach for them if this is the right program I know you've dealt with parents you know throughout the years any advice for them
3: Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, do, do your research, talk Mm. to, talk to parents of players that are already on those teams, or they've had experience with those coaches, then look and see, you know, you can, you can go on websites and look at coaches bios and what their credentials are. And so that's, you know, that's number one, that's the easy part, but then go observe, look and see how do they interact with the players? You know, do they, do they really get the player? Mm -hmm. I had one, uh, new, new player that I started working with this summer. I think she was like 10 or 11 years old. And her dad came up to me and said, listen, you know, my daughter's really shy. This is her first time working one-on-one. And these are, she has a lot of issues with confidence with her coach. And, you know, I spent an hour with her and he walked, he, you know, he went and just sat in the car in the parking lot. And as he was walking over the last five minutes of the session, and then she walked and got in the car, he says, wow. He says, I walked across the field and she's, she's talking to you. Like, she's just like a little chatterbox. What happened? Mm. Like, what did you do? And it's, for me, it's getting related to the player and it's like getting some it, Sometimes it, I don't want to say getting down on their level, but it's like talking to a 10 year old, like, like she's a 10 year old, sure. not, not a 20 year old uh, stuck in a 10 year old, like or a 10 year old stuck in a 20 year old's body, yeah. you know, those, those type of things. The other, the other thing, too, is that and – I, and I joke. I'm like, oh, I'm the kid whisperer. I'm the team whisperer. <laughs> but it, it is. And he said, wow, this is huge. He says, because her coach doesn't know how to talk to her. Mm. And she – you know, and, and it's just building her confidence. And yeah. that's the other thing, too, that I, I try to translate to kids and parents is that look and see what the coach is doing to improve themselves. Like, if I'm going to tell my players get better every time you step on the field, same with me. Like, shame on me if I'm not evolving. Shame on me if I'm not improving every single time I step on the field or in a classroom or mm-hmm. on a Zoom meeting now which is what I'm doing a lot of.
0: No, I absolutely love it. That's brilliant advice, it's, You know, especially right there, that last piece, what is the coach doing to improve themselves as well? And I think that's huge. So that's, that's awesome advice. Thank you for sharing. Fred, what, you have a question?
2: Yep, I do have a question. Oh. Yes, thank you so much. It's like you're a teacher right here. <laughs> yeah, right? It's like, this is good, this is good stuff. <laughs> the, the question I want to find out is, be, you're being an athlete, and most, I hear this from people out there that are non-athletes, that they think playing sports does not give you life lessons. So I would want to get from your take that you can dispel the myth that you're not learning any life lessons. Because I, the one thing I could see is that you can learn discipline. So what would you tell individuals like, like parents out there saying, I don't want my kid uh, playing sports because they're not gonna learn anything. So what would you tell them?
3: I could, get, I could go on for an hour about this one. The one thing that popped into my head, so my first job out of graduate school Um, The owner of the company played uh, basketball for Villanova, you know, Villanova, unbelievable basketball program, uh, you know, national champions, etc. And he said to me, "He's funny, this is like a sports thing called me by my last name, Fagan, you know why I hired you? I'm like, I don't know, because I went to Villanova? Yes, I did. Yes, because you went to Villanova, but because you played sports at Villanova. That's why. And if you look at the, I mean, just like on the female side, you look at the C-suite in organizations, any women who are, you know, top executives in organizations, they played sports. Mm. And it's because of the lessons they learned. And then even, you know, in my own athletic endeavors now, I'm a triathlete now, and I've done two half Ironmans. Did half Ironman a year ago, September in Augusta, Georgia. And it was hot. And when I say hot, it was like being on the surface of the sun. And just to get myself through, just for those of you who don't know, what a, a 70.3, it's 70.3 miles. So it's a 1.2 mile swim, a 56 mile bike ride, and then a half marathon, 13.1 miles. And that 13.1 miles, I ended up walking a lot of it because I was just, I had heat exhaustion and almost had heat stroke. But I'll tell you, I mean, just again, so it was a it was an athletic endeavor, yes. But all the all the sports lessons that I had learned over my life are what got me through that race because it, it was the endurance. And you can apply endurance to anything in life. It doesn't have to be another sport. And so, you know, just enduring quarantine, enduring this. You know, at the beginning of quarantine, we thought, oh, two weeks, it won't be bad. Here we are months later, and we're now we're looking at, you know, they're calling it like the COVID winter. Like, how are we going to endure the four months coming up? So I'm taking everything that I've learned over the years as an athlete, and not only as an athlete, but as a coach. And it's like, what can I then do for myself, for my own well-being, and then everybody else around me? Because I want everyone around me to win. My family my friends, my colleagues, my players, their families is, you know, it, it is all about winning for me, not just on the scoreboard, but in life.
1: Amen.
2: Amen. Love that.
1: <laughs> and I, I, I want to just give a final thought. I just want to let you know, um, I'm taking the 24 hour rule with me. I, that, that makes so much sense because personally for me, I tend to dwell in the negative. So from now on, if I find myself thinking about something I did wrong or well, and i asked ask myself, well, how long ago was that? And if it was 24 hours ago, I'm done with it. I'm letting it go. There's more important stuff to worry about.
0: <laughs> awesome.
2: <laughs> Thank you so much
0: for that. Yeah, you're welcome. Fred, any final thoughts from you?
2: You know what? So many. I got three pages of notes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. I love it. I'm hey.
2: always learning things. So that's a thing where it's like I want to appreciate the time and the effort. I want to appreciate... Uh, you sharing your stories with us, it, it definitely, it resonated with me because of what you were saying. It made me feel like, pull me in coach. I want to play for you.
0: Yeah, thank you, Fred. Any anything on your three pages notes that that resonates with you?
2: Oh God, you know, I can definitely say the uh, w- the one thing is about living your life where you're going to go ahead and and s- swing. Because most of the time we don't swing at life. We're just basically just want to just let things pass us by. And, and I feel like we all need to just swing at life. And then just realizing the, the issues about like when, we're, when we have a setback. I like the whole idea of parking it. I like the idea of the flushing it. I like the idea of the 24 hours. Because we have to celebrate our successes as well. We celebrate our losses and realizing we can gain from that knowledge and just realizing that that being, being whatever it is, being an athlete, you have ex- skills that, or that you can put into from, from going from, from hearing from you, going from, from the soccer field to the boardroom. So that's amazing. And, and I love your journey of the aspect of the mountain and how everything's a step at a time. And it's about trusting the teamwork that is that trusting your te- your teammate, I should say, and that's a thing where playing sports, sometimes we don't trust our teammates in order for to be successful and to be a winner, you got to trust other people.
0: No, Fred, I absolutely love it. Danielle, you have been an exceptional guest here with us today. We are at the end of our show. We could probably be speaking with you for hours, but we'll have to just bring you back if that's okay with you definitely would love to come back I have, I have a lot
3: of free time now <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay great great so i, I want to know how people can get a hold of you if they have questions about coaching about your programs they know, want to connect with you what would be the best ways
3: oh there's so many ways so my my actual company is soccer dcf mm-hmm. which is um it's my initials danielle christine fagan but it's also development character and fun and you can see my logo here, SoccerDCF. Oh, so I it. have the website, SoccerDCF, and then I'm on Instagram and Twitter at SoccerDCF. You can reach me there, uh, SoccerDCF at yahoo.com. And uh, yeah, those are the those are the best ways best ways to find me and programs. I have a lot of online programs I'm going to be launching in the next couple of weeks. Since uh, you know I can't be on the field with with players right now. For the most part because of quarantine and then we're getting all this snow um so uh at least i'm praying that we don't get it but um yeah so i have a lot of online programs and not just for not just for the players but also for um for adults as well you know you want to win let's talk
0: what what a way to end it if you want to win let's talk i love it (laughs) i love it so anybody looking to learn how to win Give Danielle a call, reach out to her, like her, subscribe to her, share her. She's there as a resource for you so you can learn how to have that winner's mindset. We will have information about Danielle on our website, on all of our social media. So make sure you like, subscribe, and share us at The Extraordinary Being Movement. Check us out on our website at theextraordinarybeingmovement.com where you can get information there about Danielle. Our past shows, our current shows, and everything else in between. This is Len and your host and coach of the Extraordinary Being Movement. We want to wish you the best and thank you for your time. We'll talk to you soon. Bye now.